Uh, you have your report um, of, uh, at least summarizes my work. Um, I just want to spend some time with you just reflecting a little bit about uh, where I see our denomination at right now and how that also impacts on the work that I'm engaged in on your behalf and among you. I wonder if you know that um, every day, uh, on average, you interact with about 25 people, every day. And every day you receive around 5,000 messages. Uh, it might be on the internet, it might be on television, it might be in advertising, it might be billboards, social media. I mean, people wearing t-shirts. Uh, I mean, you think you're watching the rugby game between the Sydney Dragons and the Melbourne Storm. And the Dragons won. But, you know, but constantly, you know, when you're watching even a game like that, uh, you're constantly being bombarded with messages like Crown Resorts, Tiger Air, Suzuki. I mean, advertisers, people, politicians, businesses, they're all there to make an impact on you, on us, on me. Think about that, impact. I mean, as human beings, uh, we're wired for impact. Our eyes by what we see, uh, our ears by what we hear, our, our nose <laughs> by what we smell. I mean, whether you're passing by one of these beautiful cafes in Melbourne and you think, I just got to have that double shot skinny latte and you just pop into that cafe. I mean, to impact means to influence, to make an impression, to sway you in a certain way. And we usually impact others by what has impacted us. I mean, you hear a great story and uh, you just have to share it with somebody. Or you've had a terrible day and you make other people know that you've had that terrible day. Uh, you've probably heard it said, hurt people hurt people. Encouraged people encourage people. We often impact others by what has impacted us. And the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 1, he tells us how he has been impacted by God. And this is what he says. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our troubles. Who comforts us. <laughs> that's you, that's me. The God of the Bible is a God of all comfort. And he comforts us in all of our troubles. Troubles. We all have troubles. Difficulties. Trials. Hurdles in life that we have to overcome. I mean, Jesus himself said in this world, you will have trouble. Whereas some time ago I was reading in the Psalms, David himself say, he says, troubles Without number surround me, my sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They're more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails within me. Countless troubles. More than the hairs of my head. Stuff around me in life. My sin. Now that's a lot. But Paul says that in the midst of all of that, God comforts us. Now pause there for a moment. Does that impact you? I mean, really? Does it really impact you? 
That God, who is a God of all comfort, comforts us in all of the stuff that we struggle with in life, from our sin to the pain, the suffering, the misery that we are part of in this world. Well, it impacted the authors of the Heidelberg Catechism, so much so that they began this creed that we love, this confession of our faith. Notice how it begins. This tapestry uh, hung over... Uh, the chair where my mom always sat, and I think of that often because, you know, even this week, because three years ago after Synod, just a weekend after Synod, God took her home to glory. But this is what she always held on to, these words of the catechism, and it means so much to me, to us, to her. Notice how it begins. What is your only comfort in life and death? Not only in as, well, you know, somebody gives you something and they say, well, that's only what I can give you. Or is that all I get? Is that only what I have? No, only as in, if you have this, you don't need anything else. You've got all that you need, both in life as well as in death. And what is that comfort? Well, Lord's Day 1 tells us that our only comfort in life and death is that we are not our own, but we belong body and soul in life and death to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. You're not your own. You belong to Jesus, lock, stock, and barrel, both body and soul. Your soul, that part of you that lives forever, that part of you that is really you, that part of you that Maybe don't, people don't see, but it's there. It's you, your, your soul, your spiritual life. It belongs to Jesus. But also the stuff that everybody sees, your body and your life, your, your, whether you're, they see the stuff that's on the outside, like your ten little fingers and your ten little toes, but also the stuff that's inside of you, your heart, your breath, your brain. Every part of you belongs to Jesus. And you're not your own because Christ bought you with a price. The price he paid was with his own life. In the words of the Catechism, Jesus has fully paid for all of my sins with his precious blood. Not just some of my sins, all of them. The wrong I did so many years ago. And like David, I can say to the Lord, remember not the sins of my youth. I remember them. But all those sins of many years ago. The good that I failed to do today and my messed up life that continues into all of my tomorrows, Jesus paid it full, fully. All of it paid. The precious blood of Christ, God's only son, was spilt on a cross. My debt was paid in full. The penalty has been paid, but there's still more comfort. Jesus has also delivered, says the catechism, from our bondage from sin and set me free from the tyranny of the devil. I mean, no longer a slave to sin. I mean, Satan has no power over me. I mean, I can resist the devil and he will flee from me. I'm set free. And if that was good enough, the catechism reminds us that God watches over us in such a way that not a hair can fall from our head without the will of our Father who is in heaven. In fact, everything is subservient to that. Everything must work together for my salvation. Not a day in my life will I walk alone. God is beside me every day. Even as we were reminded last night, Jesus says, I will be with you always.
things. He knows everything about my life. He knows my life to the very smallest details of it all. And yes, like David, I might confess that my troubles in my life and my sins are like the hairs of my head. But I also remember that the Lord counts all the hairs on my head, that not one of them will fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven, and everything works together for my salvation. And on top of all of this, I have eternal life, now and forever. God's life is inside of me today, and, and nothing can separate me from his love, not today or forever. Comfort. Our only comfort. Does that impact you? I mean, really? Does it really impact? I, I, mean, I don't know about you. Let me just talk about myself. I mean, I am profoundly impacted by the goodness of God. To know that God is always with me. I have life. I mean, every day my heart beats 115,000 times and every single one of those beats. It's a gift. I breathe 27,000 breaths every single day, and every single one of those breaths is a gift to me. And all the wrong that I've done in life, forgiven because of Christ. I have eternal life. God's life inside of me, and one day when the shooting match of life is over, I'm going to heaven. I'm profoundly impacted by the goodness of God. And Paul tells us that when you are impacted, you impact others. That's just what you do. We're wired to impact others by the way that we ourselves have been impacted. Paul puts it this way, God comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can be comfortable. No. God comforts us so that we can also comfort those who are in any trouble with the very same comfort that we ourselves have received from God. Well, just think about your own life, your own neighborhood, your own work, your school, your, your, your city. And you look around today, is anyone in trouble? You know, when I, when I look around in the world, when I sit down like I did this past Friday with the woman who cuts my hair. And when I chat with a woman who just went for treatment, you know, to the hospital for, you know, cancer in her body. When I open up the Weekend Australian as I did, as I waited for the airplane to, to take off, you know, for Melbourne this past weekend. I mean, I look around and I see a world where families are fractured where people are hurting, where people have troubles without number, like the hairs on their head. And people need a savior, someone who will set them free from the power, the penalty, and the presence of sin in their life. And that one is Jesus. Jesus has whatever anybody needs, comfort in all of our troubles. And Paul's point is, is that when God comforts us, so we now also comfort others with the very same comfort that we have received. We're comforted to comfort others. We're blessed to be a blessing. We're forgiven so that we can forgive others. 
we have received from God so that we can now give to others. Now, my friends, that's the heart of our denominational vision, our mission. We've been saved. We who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, we who have been comforted by God, who have received so much from him, we who have been impacted by God, now we impact others with the very same thing that has impacted us. As a denomination, as churches, as individuals, we will be all about reforming to reach the lost for Christ. I mean, we'll do whatever it takes so that we will be winsome for the gospel. So we'll be able to reach the lost and bring them into salvation with Christ. Give them the story of the gospel and to allow them to hear those precious stories, that old, old story of one who died for us so that we don't have to go that way of death. And so we will do whatever we can to make it very hard for people to go to hell and very easy for them to go to church and to hear the stories, to hear the gospel, the good news of the one who has rescued and redeemed us, making an impact in our communities, making an impact here in Australia. That's what we're all about. You, me, the CRCA, Christian churches here in Australia. So how are we doing? How are we doing as a denomination, making this impact together as churches? Are we making an impact? Well, we can praise God as I look back over the last 10 years that we have seen over a dozen churches planted in Australia. In those churches today, there are over uh, about almost 600 people who are part of those churches. And we can praise the Lord. We, ha we have a lot to be grateful for and be thankful to God for. And churches continue to be planted. The Church Planting Task Force continues to be in conversations with churches that are thinking about, you know, what can we do to expand our reach into our community? We've also seen in the past decade almost 1,200 people rescued from darkness and brought into light. Just look at our denominational statistics. That's all I did. Look at the pages that says conversions. People who now today have been converted from death into life. People who have the blessed assurance that they belong to Jesus. They have an eternity with God. By the grace of God, they have come from death into life, a forever life with God, once not a people, but now they are part of the family of God, the body of Christ. They're part of our local churches, your churches, the church that I'm part of, people who have been converted, 1,200 people. But let me ask again, are we making an impact in our world, in our country, in our cities, a real impact? Yes, we can look back over the last 10 years and there's been almost 1,200 conversions, but think about that. And maybe those statistics are maybe even a bit generous by what other things we've heard today. But think about it, that's less than two people per congregation per year. And the average in our church is less than two people lost who have now been reached for Christ and now part of the family of God. I mean, as a country, we're, we're growing in number. In fact, every minute and a half, another person has been added into our country. By the time Synod is over, another 7,500 people will call Australia home. That's almost the size of our entire denomination. Men, women, 
children, many babies, many migrants. In the last 10 years, uh, the number of people in our country has grown by almost 4 million. That's like adding the entire population of Melbourne or twice the population of the entire city of Perth. And how does the growth of our churches compare to the growth of our country? Are we keeping pace? I mean, I wish I could report and say, yes, you know, we're keeping pace. But as I look at the facts over the last 10 years, we have less than 300 people today than we had 10 years ago, 300 less. Now, that might be a 100% improvement of the previous decade. But look at the graphs. If we were playing cricket in the Big Bash League or in the One Day International and these graphs showed us our run chase, you and I know that that downward sloping line is not good news. Sure, we had some growth up to 2010, but since then we're declining. What's happened? Well, the fact is, is that except for one year, and that was 2010, people are leaving our churches faster than we are gaining them. We've seen almost 1,200 people come to faith, but over 2,100 people have left the faith. They're not numbered among our members anymore. No longer part of the body of Christ, no longer numbered among the members of our churches. But consider this, if those 2,000 plus members did not leave the CRCA, the picture would be very different. Just look at the grass. In fact, if this reflected how we were playing professional cricket, we'd actually say, you know what? We're pretty happy with that. But there's a chance we will not only keep pace with the population growth of Australia, but on average, we could do even a little bit better. So what does that all mean? Well, if I was your cricket coach and I saw that downward slope, I would tell you, that we have to do a whole lot better as a denomination and as individual churches. We have to hit better. We have to do better in the area of evangelism, of reaching out to the lost. The NCLS survey that was done last year among so many of our churches showed that evangelism is not a top priority in our churches. And our denominational statistics prove that to be true. We need to get more runs on the board. We need a better office. We need to be better at the work of reaching lost people and bringing them and helping them to be part of our local churches. But we also need a better defense. We have to get more wickets. Not only do we have to do better in evangelism, but we need to do a whole lot better in the area of church discipline and discipleship. And maybe our Presbyterian brothers might have to say something to us about what we need to look at. Because when you look at the results of the NCD surveys, on average, our churches score lowest in the area of loving relationships. And the NCLS survey shows that on average, reaching out to people who have left the church is not at all, not at all, a priority among our people. They just leave. And our denominational statistics seem to prove that to be true. More people have left our churches than have become part of the body of Christ. We need a better defense. And as you know, in cricket, and I've learned the game, 
Both offense and defense is critical to winning the game. And in the church, it's no different, my friends. If we're going to win the lost for Christ and keep pace with our country's population growth, we need both a better offense and a better defense. And it's not an either or. It's a both and. Evangelism and in discipleship. But you know, as a denomination, we've been saying that for a long, long time. If we're ever going to reach the lost for Christ, we need to prioritize, grow, and train evangelism, and discipleship. And I might not be a cricket coach, but I am here as your ministry development coach. And as your coach, I am here simply to say to you, to us, to our churches, that I am here to help you and to help us and our whole denomination do a whole lot better at impacting our suburbs and our country with the gospel with the life-transforming message that God himself has come to us in the Lord Jesus Christ to rescue and reclaim all of creation and especially the lost. I am here to assist you and the local churches with your needs, your challenges, your objectives to reach lost people for Christ. The ministry formation report that I trust you have undoubtedly read just gives a, a brief overlook and a summary of the activity that I have done among the churches here in Australia to, to help meet the needs, objectives, and challenges that our churches have. Now let me just say to you that as I look across Australia today, there's one fact, and the fact is, according to the McCrindle research, that the fields are white for the harvest. There are almost 21 million people in Australia who don't go to any church, 21 million. Break that down into some of our capital cities, that would be 3.3 million people in the city of Melbourne, 4.25 million in Sydney, and here in Frankston and Langmore, 137,000 people who never go to church. They don't know the God of all comfort. They don't know the Savior who will comfort them in all of their troubles, but we do. <laughs> we who have been impacted by the message of Christ, and now we in turn comfort others with the very same comfort that we have received from God. Well, ministry formation is all about assisting our churches to impact our communities, to help them address their needs, and to help them overcome their challenges. We believe very strongly that if we're going to impact Australia with the gospel, we need healthy churches. And I am so encouraged as I have been working among the churches here in Australia that so many of our churches have said, yes, help us. We'd like to know how to, what strategies we need to put in place, whether it's through NCLS or NCD or some other health survey that can help them to discover that. So many of our churches have asked me to come alongside of them to do that church health assessment to discover areas where they might be strong and areas where they are weak. And I can come along and assist those churches to address those weak areas and so increase the gospel impact that they are making for the gospel. And I think of one church that I went to probably seven, eight years ago, and that church came to me and they said, you know what, right now, like, what's wrong with us? 
And I remember looking at that church, and then we had about 75 people gathered around a, a Saturday where they would listen to me talk. And I said, what do you mean? What's wrong with you? How many people in our world would give... How many, here we have 75 people who would give up a whole Saturday morning to listen to me. And I said, what's wrong with you? There's nothing wrong with you. You've got so much potential. And that church started to look at their issues that they were struggling with and, and started to address those needs. And, you know, the last report that I got back from that church was just about a month and a half ago. And they said, you know what? We don't have enough room in our Sunday morning services anymore. We've now planned to go to two services on a Sunday morning. It's one of our churches. But a church that was willing to look at where they were at and saying, let's, let's assess that. And I look at that, I am so encouraged when I see churches take that up and be willing to make the changes that would help to shift things in a positive way. And that's what I'm here for as a ministry development coach, to guide church leaders to new directions, to provide the training, to encourage them toward increased church effectiveness. If you go to the Ministry Formation website, you'll find all kinds of suggested resources for ongoing intentional ministry formation. I mean, for the past 10 years, we've gathered a whole raft of helpful tools, and many of those tools you have given me. Because when you say this has worked in our church, I slip it on our website because there are other churches that I can encourage and say, you know what, this is what this church has done. And maybe that will work for you as well. One key resource that we have used quite extensively and that a number of our churches are using is the Discipleship Matrix. And the Discipleship Matrix is simply a tool that churches can use to help them make disciples, to move people from exploring the faith to the point where they are actually multiplying disciples. In fact, you know, one of the greatest encouragements that I come away with after working among you for the last 10 years is to see how many churches have taken up the call to discipleship. Whether it's people taking up the discipleship matrix or people going to the FIND project and helping them discover a discipleship pathway for their churches or joining up and partnering with the RTC and utilizing the way in order to raise up the next generation of Christ followers and leaders who will help churches to be effective in the gospel work to which God has called us, which we learned again last night and we're reminded again last night, and that is to make and grow disciples. A major initiative since last synod, because I recognize this is one area that we need to grow, is the whole area of outreach. And so since the last synod, uh, one of the major initiatives that I worked in partnership with Train with is organic outreach. Kevin and Sherry Harney have become good friends of the CRCA and you read about them in our reports. Well, we realize that we need to be intentional about evangelism if we are ever going to reach the lost for Christ. And so in partnership with TRAIN and the RTC, Ministry Formation is committed to helping every church develop strategies to effectively connect with non-Christians and lead them to Christ. Kevin and Sherry are joining us again at ReCharge in April of next year. And right after that, they're going to have a, a two-day intensive on organic outreach. Just listen to what Kevin Harney has to say.
Michael. Hi, this is Kevin Harney, and I am one of the co-founders of Organic Outreach International. Organic Outreach is a movement now spreading all over the world that helps local churches discover how they can change their culture to being outwardly focused. We all know in the local church there's really three things we're called to do. To glorify God and to lift up His name, to grow believers into full maturity in Jesus Christ, and to reach the world with the good news. The problem is most churches are worshiping and they're growing believers, but we're not effectively reaching out. Most studies show that of the 10 markers of spiritual health and vitality, the lowest marker in almost every denominational group in the world is intentional evangelism, it's outreach. We believe in it, we just don't get it done. So we're inviting you to come to a two-day training on April 12 and 13, where you will be equipped and trained to change the culture of your church. We're so serious about this that we've created a website. You can simply go to organicoutreach.org and everything on the website is free. We've created a five-year curriculum that you can use in your church. It's entirely free. This training is really helping you understand how do you install a whole new operating system in your church. If a church has all kinds of programs for outreach, but there's no operating system that works with health and vitality, the programs don't work. I'm convinced that with the right heart condition, the right operating system in a church, almost any outreach can be effective. And with the wrong heart or operating system, almost nothing we do works. So we're going to be coming into your part of the world. We are going to be a gathering with leaders at the Reformed Theological College in Melbourne. And for two days, we are equipping and training and resourcing you to go back to your local church and to make a transforming movement where every ministry of your church and all that you do has an evangelistic attentiveness and commitment and action. We want to give you skills to equip and train every Christian in your church to naturally share their faith in your unique context. For more information or to register, simply go to organicoutreach.org backslash all-events. I hope you can come and join us. I believe that God has called His church to reach out in fresh new ways with the same good news of Jesus. I look forward to seeing you there. God bless you. You know, it's very much my prayer that as we as a denomination have really embraced this whole aspect of growing disciples, especially over the last five to ten years, in fresh and new ways. Um, and I've seen this shift within our denomination. It's my hope that over the next you know, triennial period, we'll see more and more churches embrace this whole aspect, not just growing disciples, which is so important. That's the aspect of discipline, church discipline, discipleship. But to embrace this whole idea of outreach, of evangelism. And we can see a shift in our churches also in that direction of making disciples. You know, I've been in this role for almost 10 years now. And I often wonder to myself, what will the next 10 years look like in the CRCA? I mean, how many people will be added to our churches through conversion? Men, women, and children adopted into God's forever family because you and I and the people of our churches have impacted their lives with the very same thing that has impacted us. How many? And how many of our young people and our grandchildren, how many of our families, instead of turning their backs on the church, or turning their backs on Christ, will re instead remain steadfast 
part of God's family in the CRCA and have stayed here because they've experienced a welcome. Because here they find a place where they are among brothers and sisters, a place where they are joined and held together by the love that God has for us and the love that we have for one another. How many people will have been impacted? How many people would have stayed? And they're growing in their faith. And they're firmly established in Christian hope. And they impact others with the very same thing that has impacted them. How many? Why is this so important? Why all this talk about evangelism and discipleship? Why? Well, all around us, families are fractured. People are hurting. There's trouble everywhere. And people need a savior who will set them free from the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin in their life. And that savior is found in no one else but Jesus. For the past 10 years, you have allowed me into your homes, into your churches, and into your hearts to talk about what we need to do to make and grow disciples of Jesus. What we need to do to impact our community with the gospel. And let me just say that as a denomination and as churches and even as individuals, you all have found a place in my heart. I consider it such a joy, a real joy, to be able to serve you as we together do whatever it takes to reach the lost for Christ. What will the next 10 years look like? What will our run chase look like? I mean, long after I hang up my coaching tools and our children and grandchildren pick up the baton of ministry, what impact, what impact will the CRCA have in Australia? Well, my daily prayer, and I pray daily for our denomination, and my daily prayer is that you and I and that the members of our churches, and this is my prayer, not that we'll grow in number, not that we'll be busy with church stuff, but my daily prayer is that together we as a denomination will be profoundly impacted by the goodness of God, by the gospel. How the God of all comfort comforts us in all of our troubles. I mean, that's my daily prayer for us and for me. Because I know that when we are profoundly impacted by the goodness of God, we'll impact others. For what else can we do but go and make and grow disciples? That's just what you do. You go and reach the lost for Christ. And I just encourage you that as, as you pray, as I pray for you and as I pray for you leaders and churches, that you also pray for me. So that together we may continue on strong to do this central task that God has called us to do. To reach the lost Thank you for the privilege of serving you, and may we together continue on this journey together. Thank you.